This collision between one's image of oneself and what one actually is is always very painful. And there are two things you can do about it. You can meet the collision head on and try to become what you really are, or you can retreat and try to remain what you thought you were, which is a fantasy, in which you will certainly perish. James Baldwin. And the silent work is really providing care to people in our communities that have been pushed to the margins. Casey Foster, North Star Fund's New York City Community Funding Committee co-chair in the COVID-19 and the Future of Organizing webinar recorded in late April of this year. The folks in our communities that have been pushed to the margins that haven't been and, and have never adequately received care from the state or from the government, our grantees have been doing that work. People come to their organizations looking for care, looking to build power. And so all of the grantees have kind of been doing that silent work that may not make it into a grant report or grant proposal, right? Um, and many of them are doing that work because they themselves are those folks that are marginalized and pushed to the margins and are already experiencing what it's like to not receive care um, from the state and from the government. I think because of that, the amount of trauma that comes with being left by the state to not receive care and, and then trying to set up the networks to provide care to hundreds of people in your community. Um, just the amount of trauma that people are holding and walking with every day um, to try to continue to support and hold everyone is something that really can't be measured. Our mission. We are a social justice fund that supports grassroots organizing led by communities of color, building power in New York City and the Hudson Valley. We organize people across race and class to give in support of these movements. Our vision. We envision a world in which resources and power are equitably shared. And a future where everyone can live with dignity and thrive. Like people in other countries are My name is Randy Dillon, and we are facing an eviction crisis. My name is Rupnarin Fatura. The 15 of them have died already from COVID 19. I'm the commander, guys, regardless of their status. And, and the allies who represent us doing the work that we've done. A Guide to Freedom, a North Star Fund podcast. Episode 3, Meet the Collision Head-On. March 1st, New York State has its first coronavirus case. By March 20th, the New York State On Pause executive order was issued, ordering citizens to stay at home, schools to close, and all non-essential businesses to shut down. In a single month, New York went from one case on March 1st to more than 83,000 cases statewide and more than 2,300 people dead by April 1st. In the last week of May came the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, the murder of Breonna Taylor, and then on May 25th in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the murder of George Floyd. His death and the countless Black lives taken by state-sanctioned violence caused demonstrators to pour into the streets of cities all over the world to decry systemic racism and demand justice. The inequalities and injustices exposed by the pandemic and the protests left people like me, a nice upper-middle-class white girl from upstate New York, stunned. For the first time possibly ever, I couldn't look away. But these revelations I was experiencing, that so many of us were experiencing, 
They weren't breaking news for the countless people who'd been living in crisis every day of their lives. And the government response to these multiple intersecting crises was non-existent, which has us asking, what is the role of philanthropy in society at times such as this? How are resources now deployed in order to meet the current crisis, but also to create an America that is more resilient? How can philanthropy guide people like Risa and me, people with privilege and good intentions, to turn our heartbreak into something more useful for the communities who need it most? Jennifer Ching, North Star Fund Executive Director. What's to pivot right now for North Star Fund in this time of urgency? I'm not sure that there is anything for us to pivot. I think more what we have felt as an organization and a community is that this is the time for us to sharpen and deepen our practice and our discipline. So North Star Fund did a non-pivot? North Star Fund met the collision head on. They doubled down on the work they had been doing since its founding and did it faster. Listening to the needs of communities and distributing resources to meet those needs was nothing new. Now they were just doing it over Zoom. Here's program officer Catherine Eusebio explaining the measures North Star Fund took to ensure that they were meeting the moment. When we created our COVID response plan, it had a few um, elements in place. The first was for all grantees who are currently being considered for a grant. We just gave them the money and we didn't go through the process of evaluation or deep consideration, but really just allowed the money to go out the door. For all of our grantees, even ones that weren't in consideration at the moment, we provided emergency grants to everyone. Um, We did not request an application or request any reporting and um, just made sure everyone received funds electronically as soon as possible. And the third piece of this plan was to spend money from our reserve. Most of the money that goes out the door is generated through donations um, from the community of New Yorkers that support us. So it's certainly not expected for community foundations to take on that kind of vulnerability. My name is Casey Foster. Currently, I'm the co-director of the Youth Power Project at Make the Road New York. With North Star, I am a member of the board, and I'm also a co-chair of the Community Funding Committee. Casey talks to us about how one of the roles philanthropy can play is to transcend what we expect from the private and public sectors. You know, it was really in a lot of communities People were struggling to survive through this, and government left and abandoned a lot of folks. And I think there's only so much that philanthropy can do, right? Like, philanthropy is not going to save us. Um, But I think North Star recognized what it can do, which is get some funds out to people, which could help some organizations and some people in community, is make that as easy as possible for groups and to do it as quickly and effectively as possible. And that's what North Star did in the moment. Here's Kofo and Ifalaje, development director, on how North Star Fund showed up. What happened during the pandemic, it was really actually eye-opening for me because especially once the city went on lockdown, it felt sort of immediate where our donors knew to respond. Our donors knew that the groups that North Star Fund funds, they knew that our groups were sort of the key support for communities. There were so many emails and so many, you know, um, requests for meetings and just requests for information on how they could help. 
we were actually in the middle of planning our annual gala, which is our main fundraising event for the year. Um, we were in the middle of doing fundraising for that, and we had to scrap that. We had to reimagine the fundraising budget, and we shifted all fundraising to go toward COVID support in coordination with our program team who were actually hearing directly and in real time from our grantee groups about what they needed. We just knew we were going to need to move money quickly. That's really what we did. We organized donors. We told them how they could support and give to North Star Fund. We created a COVID-related sort of rapid response fund called the Future of Organizing Fund. And we fundraised for that. We were able to move about $1.7 million out to grantee groups. And that was the fastest we've ever moved any money, um, at least as long as I've been at North Star Fund. By pausing their traditional decision-making process, North Star Fund was able to raise and disseminate an enormous amount of money for its grantees who were tending to the needs of their communities. $1.7 million in merely two weeks is a testament to their staff, to the community they've built, and to the spirit of giving that New Yorkers have in them. And because crises exacerbate existing inequities, the organizations which the Future of Organizing Fund supported were able to fill the voids that weren't being addressed by the public or private sectors. Catherine Eusebio, again, talking to us about how Damayan, an organization which organizes Filipino low-wage workers, did exactly that. I attended a community meeting with one of our grantees, Damayan, who organizes um, nannies and domestic workers, all of whom are Filipino immigrants. And so nannies in particular don't have the traditional kinds of labor protections as working in an office, for example. And so nannies have been fired. Domestic workers have been cut off from traditional support. And one of their leaders said the government has really left them to die because they haven't been given any formal protection So when I think about what the grant provided to them, it was distributed back in the form of food and stipends that enabled these people to survive. And nowhere else could they have benefited from a government relief package. I think the role of grassroots groups is to keep people um, engaged and alive and also to advocate for better conditions for, for their people overall. And one of the ways these grantee organizations expand their reach is through mutual aid. So I had to Wikipedia search mutual aid because, well, I basically had to wiki every other concept brought up so far. Maybe Catherine can explain? Mutual aid is uh, a tradition longstanding in communities of color where um, people in the community are providing for their own. When I think about mutual aid's connection to organizing, it reminds me of ways that communities might um, bring people in for food. For example, like the Black Panthers provided breakfast for free, and this was a tool that helped politicize people to understand why is it that their community is receiving or needs this kind of support where others have more than plenty So I think mutual aid is a tool to bring people in and also politicize them to think about the conditions that they're facing and what needs to change. Why use Wiki when you can just ask Catherine? Not only are North Star Fund grantees filling in the gaps where they're needed most, they're also holding these sectors accountable, 
advocating for issues and giving voice to their communities. And one of the most impactful ways we've learned that North Star Fund grantees were doing that during the crisis of COVID was through coalition building. Casey Foster again. Coalition can bring large organizations into relationships with smaller organizations that are all fighting around similar struggles. And so one for me um, that kind of stands out that North Star supported is the Housing Justice for All Coalition in New York State, which brought together folks that are organizing around housing justice, around rent laws, not just for folks in New York City. Oftentimes people think of, you know, renters in New York State and think, oh, that's only an issue for people in New York City. No, you know, there are people that, you know, are renting all over New York State. And the Housing Justice Coalition brought together large and small organizations organizing around housing justice from across the state and changed New York State rent laws for the first time since, like, the 1970s. And I think even right now, right, are are creating the pressure um, around, um, you know, evictions and rent relief for the most vulnerable communities during this pandemic. So I think creating a coalition that brings people together around a shared issue um, and creates a a shared space so small and large organizations can move together um, can be incredibly impactful. Els Kuya Jones about a coalition making a tremendous impact during the COVID pandemic. So right at the the start of the pandemic, it was housing activists and affordable housing activists and homeless organizers got together to protect folks who are renters and um, folks who did not have permanent housing. Housing justice advocates fear that without action from Albany, New Yorkers who have lost their jobs during the COVID pandemic could be at risk of losing their homes. Public news service. Even before the pandemic, many tenants were just one paycheck away from eviction. In March, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced a 90-day moratorium on evictions, but Sia Weaver with the Housing Justice Alliance says more needs to be done. We're asking the state legislature and the governor to pass legislation that would suspend landlords' ability to collect rent for the duration of the crisis. Our goal is to rehouse 92,000 homeless New Yorkers and to make sure that everybody is living in homes that are safe and that they can afford. Whether we act or not, millions of New Yorkers cannot pay the rent, and they have a critical role to play in stabilizing the situation and passing sensible policy that can both support small landlords and support renters. Which brings me to this larger question of how philanthropic organizations can not only provide short-term relief for communities most affected by the pandemic, but help build long-lasting change to help them weather crises in the future. Els, again. You know, in February, people didn't hear about defund the police. They didn't even, they thought that was a completely radical, impossible thing. And then come June, we saw across the country school boards deciding to not have police in their schools. And we've noticed um, city councils deciding to pull parts of their budget out of the police force. So it became something that was super radical and an impossibility to something that was actually happening across the country and made movement here in New York City. North Star Fund, since its inception, has been working with communities in crisis. 
So the crisis of COVID and the crisis of systemic racism were not new to them, not new to the communities they've been championing for so long, not new to the movements which those communities were creating from the ground up. What was new was everyone else's response. The defund the police movement Els is describing had a major breakthrough with Communities United for Police Reform, a coalition for which North Star Fund supports and is the fiscal sponsor. Civil Rights Law 50A has been on the books for 44 years, but the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the protests that have followed have given the effort to repeal that law added momentum. PNS News Service again. According to Katura Tops with the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and a member of Communities United for Police Reform, the signatories to that letter are not the only ones calling for action. It's New Yorkers from every borough, it's communities all across the country, and people from all over the world calling for a full repeal of this law. Making sure that the public has an avenue to ensure that when police officers misconduct themselves, they are fully held accountable, disciplined proportionately, and it's not a secret from the communities that they're going to be serving. Why would a public servant who is fully armed and has the power to arrest people, take their liberty away, why would those members of society be exempt from being completely transparent and accountable to the public? I was going to look up CPR, but then I remembered to just ask Catherine. We have been a longtime supporter of Communities United for Police Reform, also known as CPR. They're such a powerful coalition because they are led by different community-led grassroots organizations. And so it's exciting to see them really take power in this moment. CPR's coalition has led to a really exciting moment when it came down to the city budget negotiations and whether de Blasio would defund police or cut the police budget at a time where every other city agency budget had shrunk. But because we've been a long-term supporter of CPR, because they have um, built up the infrastructure to take on massive campaigns and be successful also at the state level, they are creating a political opportunity and a moment for change that is meeting the headlines. North Star Fund's Let Us Breathe Fund, the only New York City-based fund led by and for Black communities Organizing around police reform and building Black liberation is a prime example of how philanthropy can provide both short-term relief and long-term building. Executive Director Jennifer Chang. So North Star Fund founded the Let Us Breathe Fund in 2015 um, in the wake of Eric Garner's murder by the NYPD. I was not working here at that time. I was just another New Yorker who was absolutely incensed and outraged um, by that act, an act that, you know, we witnessed on video um, and then saw over more than five years a, a total failure of our government in any accountability for that death, for his death. When I came to North Star Fund uh, in 2017, Let Us Breathe Fund had already been in operation for a few years. Um, it was living to its promise of being led by community organizers and providing long-term sustained support for Black-led organizing and multiracial organizing around these very issues and questions. But by 2017, there had kind of already been, um, I would say, a general public and philanthropic kind of abdication uh, around supporting Black lives and certainly centering Black lives 
And so as a, as a fundraiser, as a resource mobilizer, as a head of North Star Fund, and as someone deeply passionate about really trying to build a world that um, understands and, and is accountable to our legacy and our daily contemporary acts of anti-Black racism, I, I found myself in a lot of uncomfortable conversations trying to convince people to, to support the Let Us Breathe Fund and to support this work around police accountability in particular in, in New York City. So fast forward to the pandemic and fast forward to the incredible sea change and mass mobilizations of this summer. It was incredible to see so many New Yorkers come out and particularly incredible for us at North Star Fund to see so many New Yorkers support the Let Us Breathe Fund. So many folks found us online or heard about us on social media and came out and supported um, North Star Fund and this work. And it felt for me personally to be able to now be in within an organization that has had this commitment and to be able to share our practices with other philanthropic organizations who are pivoting and thinking about how to build this work, to be able to talk to um, individual donors who have been uh, activated and who want to um, want to really do what they can to dismantle systemic racism. It's really tremendous and I'm hopeful. But of course, part of me is also deeply sad, deeply sad that it takes death, that it takes the murder and the loss of black life for our communities to to pivot. And so what I'm what I'm hoping for right now is that we as an institution can do everything we can to keep this movement, keep this work front and center because it is in so many ways the core of of what we must change within our society, particularly now as we, you know, are enduring the fourth year of a openly white supremacist president um, and, you know, looking ahead to deeply uncertain times. I asked Casey Foster, New York City Community Funding Committee co-chair, what his view of the future is in these uncertain times. You know, it's it's hard to explain. It hits differently for me. I think particularly around the, the Breonna Taylor decision, coming into that decision, one, I was not hopeful um, for there to be any accountability in that decision. But two, I don't look for the courts to provide accountability and justice. They're not set up to do that for Black people in this country. But I think the thing that was still incredibly hard and painful is the court just, you know, it, it reinforced that, you know, it, it's okay. Um, and actually it's it's legal to go into a black woman's home in the middle of the night and basically shoot and kill her. And, um, you know, at the time in my home, my, my aunt, my mom, and my partner were here as, as well as our um, our new daughter, right? And my aunt and my mom were helping us with, with childcare. And it, it really reinforced that Black women through patriarchy and racism continue to be caretakers in our communities and, and in other communities. And still, you know, th- this country has no problem snatching their lives. And, and it, it hit a little different um, for me. And, you know, I, I guess that comes with being a parent. Um, at the same time, I know whether or not people have children or not, that these things hit us all um, and have an immense impact on us. I think we're fighting now and folks were fighting before us and the next generation is going to fight after us 
my child and, and many other children right now, um, you know, will take up this fight. And I just hope that we're able to organize now um, to create the conditions that the challenges are not as immense for them as they feel like they, they can be right now. How then do people like me, who are exhausted and furious and confused, how do we join the folks at North Star Fund and take up this fight, especially if we're joining so late in the battle? Yeah, it feels really overwhelming to just jump in. Like, I don't want to be the, she joined this movement because it was trendy kind of girl, because I want to learn how to do it for the long haul. Well, we got a lot of catching up to do, because this is a race, right? And we don't get to the finish line by sleeping. But I'm already feeling somewhat exhausted. Meet the collision head on. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about North Star Fund and the incredible work they do, please go to www.northstarfund.org. We'd like to give a special thanks to Jennifer Ching, Kathleen Pequeño, and Angbin Salim for their guidance and support in creating this podcast. And to all our interviewees, Jillian White, Adrian Wong, Casey Foster, Margie Fine, Catherine Eusebio, Gabriela Quintanilla, Kofo Anifalaje, and Elzquia Jones. For additional audio, we'd like to thank Walter Hercht, the Release Aging People in Prison campaign, Damayan, Adikar, Right to Counsel, Worker Justice for NYC, and Public News Service. For lending his immense talent and dulcet tones, a huge thanks to William Jackson Harper. We'd also like to thank our magician of an audio technician, editor, sound mixer, Dan Crowley. The North Star Fund podcast was created by Maureen Sebastian and Risa Sarakin and produced by Maureen Sebastian and North Star Fund. <laughs>